DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Is Jesus Calling You? A Spiritual Guide for Discerning Your Vocational Call with Father Paul Hazing. Father Hazing is a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha. He has served as a Director of Catholic Campus Ministry, a Director of the Office of Vocations, and has been a trusted spiritual director for the Institute for Priestly Formation. Father Hazing currently serves as the Dean of Seminarians and Director of Human Formation for Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Is Jesus Calling You? A Spiritual Guide to Discerning Your Vocational Call with Father Paul Hazing. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We've been discussing, is Jesus calling you to be a priest? It's a helpful guide produced by the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. And it really offers a great tool for those who are trying to discern whether or not they have a call to the vocation of the priesthood. That's right. It's the kind of booklet that uh, a young man would take in hand and start to pray uh, with a guide, a spiritual father, a, a spiritual director, so that he might gain the kind of clarity and the kind of conviction which allow him to take the next step. And that's what we've been discussing, is, is really how our Lord reveals himself in an encounter that gives us enough light to take the next step. And discerning isn't about seeing the end, it's about seeing our Lord. And the end might be priesthood, uh, the, the call may be priesthood, but we, we begin to take steps with our Lord and in our Lord. And in doing that, we start to see how he's always offering us more peace, always offering us more of his goodness, more of his good plan for us. Of the 10 lessons that are offered in this booklet, we find ourselves on the eighth lesson. The will of the Spirit against Christ is revealed in fear. Mm -hmm. And I find it very compelling that here once again we're visiting the issue of fear. There must be a reason why the three words that Jesus says more in the gospel than anything else is not necessarily love your neighbor, but it's be not afraid. That's right. And our Lord, in conquering that fear, has entered into our lives. And what we need to realize is he enters into our lives so that we might be in him. And this was the emphasis of, of lesson uh, six. When we're in him, we can then lead to lesson seven, and that is we can trust that our thoughts and feelings and desires are in him, and they are his, and so we can follow him. And so this image of being in Christ is very Pauline. It's the phrase he would use uh, all the time in his epistles, uh, in Christo, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have victory. In Christ Jesus, there is there is redemption. In Christ Jesus, there is salvation. And so he was constantly referring, was the refrain of his teaching, in Christ. And so what is not of Christ, as we examine our thoughts, feelings, and desires, if we are in Christ and those thoughts, feelings, and desires uh, lead us deeper into his peace, then we can trust that's his will. In this eighth lesson, the will of the Spirit against Christ is revealed in fear. And so if our thoughts, feelings, desires have the content and tone which bring about a fearfulness, then we can be assured that it's not of Christ. Right? And so we, we continue to, to get to the heart of discernment. Discerning meaning to separate one from the other, what is of Christ, what is not of Christ. 
And so God does not reveal himself by fear or through fear. We, we assured ourselves of that in the seventh lesson. And so in this eighth lesson, we see that God does not reveal himself in fear. We can pay attention then to those desires that draw us into his peaceful presence. The spirit against God would scare us into doing something. And sometimes people come with that missed notion of saying, well, I'm going to be a priest, and I, I think I need to be, and, and there I need to be, I need to be a priest, and it, it's going to be okay. And, and uh, so this sort of fearfulness behind the motivation, the fearfulness uh, that I'll become celibate out of fear, and this is not how God works. Again, he's always proposing. So the spirit against God reveals his desires through fear. When we uh, look at another example here, he, he gives a fairly extended example uh, and he does that because he wants us to see that we're not talking about pie-in-the-sky ideas. We're talking about real lived situations. And so it's important for us to pay attention to these examples and, and, and see that we'll have these very same dynamics in our own spiritual lives. And so he gives the example of Zach, who's a sophomore in college. Again, all these names are protected. This, the author, this priest author, has been in the field for some time, for about mm-hmm. 14 years, when he gives us this uh this journal. He says, Zach is a sophomore in college, and so during high school, he dated, had a special girl for a couple of years, and as a freshman in college, the thought of priesthood came up, uh, not regularly, but every once in a while. And he quite easily brushed it away. Then, due to the influence of his mother, he decided to spend some time in Guatemala, working with the poor. And it was very spiritually enriching. And so he felt very close to Christ during these days. So close that the thought of priesthood became more prominent. Okay, he's in Christ. The thoughts of priesthood are becoming more prominent. Recall from a lesson previously where a young man asked his spiritual director in the seventh lesson, how do I know if God has chosen me to be a priest? And the priest says, it's a mystery. However, I know this, if God wants a man to be a priest, then at some point God must make that man think about being a priest. So here's Zach. He's in Guatemala, he's experiencing great peace, and the thought of priesthood is more prominent. So we're paying attention to this. This gets his attention. Because of this, Zach uh, felt that he needed to be fair to his girlfriend and tell her what was going on in him. He shared this with her, and after a period of time, much to the disappointment of his girlfriend, he ended the dating relationship and contacted the vocation director and kept in contact with him and intended one of those three-day gatherings on a lake with seminarians. And so he's, he's entering into a courtship here, if you will, a new courtship. Again, the vocation is always proposed in love. Some people imagine that priesthood is a running away from love. Really, it's running into love. And mm-hmm. that's why the disappointment of his girlfriend might, uh, might kind of sting him, you know, at first. But when he sees this as a courtship into a new love, then good things can happen. And so he's entering in this courtship and he goes to his next semester of college, his sophomore year of college, and the thoughts of priesthood again become more frequent and strong as they did in Guatemala. His spiritual life grows. So we see him entering into a spiritual life that intensifies. He prays more. He tries to go to confession at least bi-weekly. He attends daily Mass when he can, that, that trifecta, growing in virtue, the sacraments, and prayer. This is what should happen in discernment. It has to happen if we're to discern. 
the example given of you can't teach a lesson outside of the swimming pool. You've got to get in the water. Mm-hmm. This is the water. So he's entering into those waters, those deeper waters of his spiritual life. However, in all of this, he experiences much fear when thinking about a life of celibacy. So he speaks to his vocation director. We'll call this guy Father Eric. And the priest, Father Eric, the vocation director, asks him, Are you afraid that by living a life of celibacy you will not be doing God's will? Or are you afraid that God is choosing a path for you that you will dislike? And Zach has a pretty quick response. None of my fear is a fear that I may not be doing God's will. My fear comes from a fear of not being able to date, not being able to live the way I think will make me happy. Ah, so we put our finger on, we've discerned what's causing the fear. It's a voice that says, your fear is from the spirit against Christ. It does not come from the heart of Christ. Christ will not lead you into celibacy by fear, nor will he lead you away from it by fear. Jesus will not lead you into marriage by fear-filled thoughts about celibacy. See, it's a reaction that he's Mm -hmm. having against his fear. And he's very wisely, the vocation director pulls out this discernment of spirits and says, look, God does not lead you by fear. If you go and get married because you're afraid of celibacy, you've not discerned well. This is a, a mantra for all seminary formation and all discernment that we need to keep in our minds. Rather, he'll lead you to marriage by deepening a desire for marriage when you are experiencing the peaceful presence of Christ. We remember the example he gave of a fellow named Patrick who entered his brother's reprise. He went to the seminary, but while he was in seminary, deep peace around sacramental marriage. Fear about leaving seminary and disappointing his family. Here again. So Zach realizes, it's told, the spirit against Christ is not Christ and leads us by fear. And the, so the spiritual director, Father Eric, the vocation director, actually, this should be clear, a vocation director can't be a spiritual director. And this is something that has to be made clear to every man who's thinking about seminary. He can go to the vocation director and describe, you know, some spiritual things in his life and, and, and bring those to the table to his vocation director. But a spiritual director would have access to a confession, usually the uh, material of confession, and a vocation director cannot have that. So, sadly, as a vocation director, I can't hear a lot of confessions. I can't hear the confessions of our seminarians because that is something that I couldn't have access to in case they might believe I was acting on that. A man Mm -hmm. confessing, having robbed a liquor store, and then saying, well, that's the reason I couldn't go on in seminary, because you told the formator, so on and so forth. So that is the way the church protects the integrity of the interior form of a man. But at the same time, a vocation director is a priest, and he's been through these things, and he's seen these things time and again. He can comment very wisely, and so for this man to come to the vocation director is good. Uh, the vocation director can comment to what this fear is doing in, in Zach. Father Eric goes on to say, that Zach needs to see what is behind the fear. He is afraid of having to live a lonely life without love. This is behind the fear. Father Eric tells Zach that it is good that he does not want a lonely life without love. Here's another piece of discernment. 
we have to see clearly what is the greatest good, what will make us happy. No one should want to be lonely and live without love. However, if God chooses a man for the celibate priesthood, he is choosing him for a life filled with love and a felt awareness that one is never alone. So he's facing that fearful spirit and discerning how that would lead him away from God's will. And so this makes sense to Zach. And Zach prays over the following months that what he learned, he gradually rejects the fears about celibacy, knowing they are not from Jesus. He would not move us into marriage because of fear of celibacy. He simply trusts Jesus. Again, it's not about solving a problem. It's about the encounter with Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Trusting that Jesus would not choose a lonely life for him, desiring what he desires. There's that lesson number two. In time, he feels more consolation and less fear. And a few months later, it's clear to him from his experience of peaceful consolation that he desires to enter the seminary. He still does not know for sure whether he will be a priest. Again, we're not going from A to Z. We're going Mm -hmm. from A to B, step by step. But he knows he will not find that answer in fear of celibacy. He's been accepted by his diocese. He enters the seminary. So he gets enough light to see the next step, and he takes it. The spirit against God, not God, reveals desires and fear, which would take you away from the will of Christ. So it's a great example illustrating this, this eighth step of discernment here. Father, could it be said that in countering these fears, going deep, trying to find the root that brokenness or woundedness that may have allowed this fear to develop in our lives, that there is a a degree of suffering. And sometimes that encounter with suffering is something that can push us away from the process as well. Mm -hmm. Certainly, fear is a, a suffering that God would not will for us. He does not actively will us to suffer from fear. But he may permit us to experience this fear so that we can distinguish what is a lie and what is true, as Zach was able to do here. If we're willing to stay the course with the encounter and discuss these matters with a spiritual person, then we can start to see how some of our suffering, in fact a great deal of it, is caused by a lie and reject that lie. In the case of Zach here, the lie that he was hearing is that if God is choosing for him celibacy, then God is choosing for him a lonely life without love. Is that what God would do? Give us a lonely life without love? Is this how God our Father works? This is a lie. It's a lie that needs to be resisted. Both sacramental marriage and celibacy are lives filled with love. And God wants every person to be filled with a life of love. But Zach was experiencing a distorted vision of what priesthood and celibacy was about. And his suffering was caused by the distorted vision and that spirit leading him in that direction. Once again, it goes back to that basic Ignatian tool of be aware, mm-hmm. understand, take action. And in this case, the take action would be resisting the lie taking an action, which is really probably the hardest part uh, that, that 
we can experience in our lives of prayer. But really, by the time we've gotten to that point uh, of discernment, of taking action, uh, that awareness, that understanding, the action flows out of a, well, yes, of course. Why wouldn't I resist that lie? That is a lie. That's totally a lie. It becomes as natural as taking your hand out of the fire. It's not to be really commended or anything. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's, it's seen quite clearly for the good that it is to resist that lie and take in and receive the goodness instead. And so it's a revitalization, it's a renewal of the prayer life that can, that can really happen when we reject the lie. But it ha- we have to reject it. And, and sometimes we have to really come to terms with our, as you mentioned, woundedness. And when I say come to terms, realize that our woundedness isn't ours to heal. But we need to ask for healing. Or really come to terms with our sinfulness. And when I mean come to terms, realize that we like our sins. Mm-hmm. And liking sins will lead us further into lies. And God will allow us this suffering of the lie and sinfulness so that we learn more clearly how to turn to Him. And so some of our desolation and some of our uh, following and suffering uh, another way uh, is our Lord's way of showing, in, in, as He did with the prodigal son, he wasn't in his senses. He was not with God. He was away from God in that entire time. But he he was shown who his father was through that experience. And so not to despair of having experienced that kind of desolation or suffering in one's life. Because he's the Lord of history. He can redeem all of that. Mm-hmm. This really leads us then to that ninth lesson, which is you must stand firm in faith in what you have received from God. Mm-hmm. Stand firm. I, that's that's very Paulian too, isn't it? Paul, we can't get away from his teaching. Standing firm in faith. This amen of the person. A lot of people want to say uh, I believe when they receive the Eucharist. I'll say body of Christ sometimes and people will say I believe. It just misses entirely the sense of the amen, the, the Hebrew word amen. Stay with that word because it means something so much more than I believe. It means something about submission, total surrender, total trust, total desire to be attached to, cling to, always be with. You'd need about a paragraph, essay, maybe even a, a whole few pages to really define what amen means. And we could say it here, to stand firm in faith. Amen. So an amen of the person with no to the lie, amen to him who gives me peace, who speaks in my thoughts and desires, who offers to me his will in that peace and anchors me day by day in a time-taking but certainly trust-making relationship which will never lead me astray. Take those things, receive those things, what you have received from God and receive basically uh, that relationship because this is all being proposed in the context of a friendship. Sometimes we can feel like, and this is why this final lesson is so important, standing firm in faith, we can feel like a ping pong ball. And our author goes back to Michael who is having those desires for priesthood. One day he's attracted to the priesthood when he's praying, when he's going to mass. And then another day, he's not when he's 
outside of Christ, when he's focused on other things, when he's and so he experiences the contrasting desires against priesthood. And he might even have that experience on the same day, or day by day, going back and forth. And so these contrasting desires are happening on one day because Michael is experiencing desires of God, and on the next he's experiencing the desires of the Spirit against God. So these two movements of the Spirit, one against God and one with God. So the contrasting experience is happening because he's, he's experiencing contrasting spirits. So in order for Michael to do the will of God, he must believe and say yes to the thoughts, feelings, desires that he experiences within the place of peace in Christ. So he's got to learn how to stand firm in that peace and not believe that he, he says in belie- and, and not believe and not say yes to the thoughts, feelings, desires where there's fear and pressure and confusion. This, this is the essential piece of discernment. If we're going to avoid the ping pong ball effect, this ninth lesson is important. Because a lot of people will go back to their lies, they'll go back to their sins, they'll go back to their old way of thinking. And there's a consistent resistance that has to take place. That's why it's a very suitable penance for a person to resist a lie. To say, Lord, I resist this lie. It's a penitential act. Ignatius talks about how we are able to be relieved of a desolation. It's only going to happen through prayer, meditation, much examination, and a suitable penance. And a suitable penance will resist the lie. It's a, pen, it's, a, it's a penitential act that needs to happen in order for us to stand firm in faith. It's an act of the will, isn't it? It is. It's saying my desires are not for this lie. My desires are not for the spirit against Christ. My desires are for him. And saying with this desire, this act of the will, uh, even though my feelings might be over here, and my thoughts may be whirling, I'm going to make this act of the will to trust him and stay with him and stand firm in him and ask for the faith to do so. To stand firm in faith. Uh, Very often our discernment can be weakened by an experience that sees a failure in one of those three, faith, hope, or love. And faith is is really primary in this act of discernment. We have to, to believe and surrender to the one who is love. And faith is that gift that we need to ask for. So to stand firm in faith, to be asking for faith, to be petitioning for it, it's a gift. Along with that firm act of the will. It's essential to recall then other portions of this process, this journey that we've been on. When we were taught earlier in early lessons to identify fears. Mm -hmm. And that, as you have spoken of, the... Uh, sources of those fears and be able to recognize it so that we can stand firm. Mm -hmm. You know it because you've encountered it, you see it, you know where it it potentially is coming from, and you have the ability with Christ, in Christ, in Him, to be able to actually do that standing. Right. It's not on our own strength that we're standing firm. And this was clear in the lesson about trust. Jesus calling Peter from the boat. Peter walks on the water. This standing firm in the midst of the world full of voices leading us elsewhere. Peter's able to walk on water. 
in the marvelous way in which people are able to follow Christ against what seems to be impossible distractions or impossible attention getters or a world full of competing offerings, it's really a walking on the water that he's offering to us. A walking on the water which only happens in faith. Peter, in focusing on Jesus, was able to receive in trust that faith which allowed him to stand firm on water mm-hmm. with him. And so it's a great image to, to keep in mind. The point is also made in Lesson 9 that there needs to be, again, that practice of time, patience, for that prayer of clarity and for allow that to take place as well. I mean, in standing firm, also pray for that grace that will be bestowed upon you if you approach it with that openness. You know, after making a prayerful decision to resist a lie and pursue Christ, the obstacle of our doubts or anxieties aren't going to automatically go away. And so when we ask our Lord to continue to reveal his will to us, this is going to be the way for standing firm and also providing for us uh, the ability to do his will without uh, constantly succumbing to uh, the anxieties or fears that will still be there, the anxieties or fears that will still try to move us away. He gives the example of uh, a young man standing firm uh, in this way of, of clarity. He didn't have clarity at first, and here's how he describes it. He describes a fellow by the name of Jacob. And so a, a fairly mature young man who's got a family business, he's taking it over for his family. He's active in his parish. He teaches confirmation. He volunteers, and he decides he needs to consider the seminary. So he calls the vocation director. Great first step. And during their phone conversation, the vocation director informs him there is a scheduled you know, come and see the seminary weekend. And so he attends. And it seems like it would be a good idea. And he gets excited about the thought of going. However, as days progress and the date of the weekend approaches, he begins to doubt his decision. Fear and anxiety entering in. And the thought of being away with so many things starts to burden him. Confusion and fear again. He begins to feel some anxiety and pressure about it all. Did I really want to do this? Doubting himself even. And so the vocation director receives another call from this young man uh, saying that he has changed his mind about the visitation. In listening, the vocation director becomes convinced that his new decision is being driven by fear. It's fear that drove that decision to not go now. And so he says this with Jacob. He, he He shares what he thinks about this fear and then finally says, Jacob, just go. You'll be glad you did. And so here again, the value of having a spiritual director, advisor to, to really cancel out this uh, voice of fear, to help us cancel it out mm-hmm. and stand firm is, is really important where we see the, the, the director helping us banish that fear so that we don't end up like a ping pong ball. And a guy like Jacob just goes back and forth thinking about seminary and going back to his family business and thinking about seminary and going back to his family business. He calls his vocation director, and the vocation director helps him make a stand. That's what fathers do with their children. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid? Okay. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid, but let's go forward. Dad did this all the time on the farm, you know. Wasn't sure of my abilities. Help me go forward. And so, thankfully, Jacob, in this case, trusts the vocation director, went on the weekend, and he loves it. 
he stood firm then with his decision and in faith was able to receive clarity by standing firm. He was accepted and he became a college student and had the best year of his life again. So he, he saw how trusting in the counsel of his vocation director allowed him to overcome the fear, a fear which wasn't of Christ. And once that fear was unmasked, and unmasked fully in experience of the seminary on a visit, going for, forward was, uh, was natural. It was in his heart and in his desires all along. It was God's desire for him. Mm-hmm. Well, in closing, again, on this particular session, both Lesson 8 and Lesson 9 have really valuable reflections. Mm-hmm. They ask us to examine, in Lesson 8, to examine again this fear, and as this fear appears in our own feelings and desires, does our fear come when we are desiring to do God's will, and the thought of choosing not to do His will cause you fear? Or rather, does your fear come from when you are focused on what you want and the thought that God might want something different? Does this make you afraid? Just looking closely at the source of our fear, as we did with Zach. He was afraid of being alone and having a lonely life. He was swallowing a lie about the priesthood being a lonely life. And so running from celibacy into marriage, this was a fearful decision that was being proposed. So we identify the source of our fear, and in identifying that source of fear, we can resist the will of the Spirit against Christ and turn away from it, inviting Christ into the situation by repeating a simple prayer like this. We see it on every billboard. Jesus, I trust in you. Turning back to that third lesson. Jesus, I trust in you. And then to stand firm in that trust, to stand firm in faith, to ask ourselves, do you have moments in prayer where the next step you are to take becomes quite clear from the experience of the peace of Christ, but then you believe and follow the thoughts, feelings, desires, and the fear flowing from the Spirit against Christ, causing you to change your mind and not move forward. Identify those moments and cling to Christ during them again by praying, Jesus, I trust in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you gave us the perfect prayer to call upon God as our Father, to ask that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that we may trust in the providential care of our Father always, that his will will be done. Firmly give us a sense of being in you, in your peace. That we may resist the spirit that is against you and receive what is of you. To receive your will, your loving will, and receive our vocation, our call from you. We ask this as we ask all things in the name of your Son, Jesus our Lord, and we ask your blessing, the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to 
is Jesus Calling You with Father Paul Hazing. This series is based on Is Jesus Calling You to Be a Catholic Priest? A Helpful Guide, published by the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. To hear and or download this episode, or to learn more about what you've heard, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Is Jesus Calling You? with Father Paul Hazing.